Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. The phrase, the time of Jacob's trouble, comes from Jeremiah 30, verse 7, which says, Alas, for that day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. It is our view that the time of Jacob's trouble corresponds to the seven-year tribulation of the end times. In the previous verses of Jeremiah 30, the Lord is speaking to Jeremiah the prophet about Judah and Israel. Jeremiah 30, verses 3 and 4. In verse 3, the Lord promises that one day in the future, he will bring both Judah and Israel back to the land he had promised their forefathers. But their return will involve many distresses. How awful that day will be. On today's program, we're going to take a look and continue to look at what's taking place in Israel and around the world, geopolitics, with our broadcast partners, Ken Timmerman, David Dolan, Itamar Marcus, Dr. Andy Woods, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, and of course, we'll take a look at the book at the end of the program. Rick, we've got a lot to cover, so let's get started with our first Ken Timmerman. Well, that's right, Jimmy. Ken Timmerman joins us today. He is our expert on geopolitical affairs. He is an author, an analyst. He has a website, kentimmerman.com. You could go there to find out more about him, his books, and sign up for his newsletter. Ken, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me on, Rick. It's always a pleasure. We'll start off in Russia, Ken, and you look at that situation there. They are still at war with Ukraine, but now they are courting the Middle East, and they had a conference with Iran and Hamas. Can you tell us about that? Well, we've had a lot of meetings since the October 7th invasion of Israel by Hamas, the massacre of Israeli citizens, of civilians. And it's becoming increasingly clear, Rick, that not only was Iran directly involved in planning and financing uh, this attack, in training the Hamas fighters who went across the border, but that Russia and China have played a role as well. The Russians are meeting with Hamas leaders this week. The Chinese have sent an envoy to the region at the United Nations. Uh, you may recall just this week, the Russians and the Chinese had a UN Security Council resolution condemning Israel and calling for a ceasefire. And the U.S. had to obviously exercise its right of veto. So we are increasingly in conflict with Russia and China over Israel, as well as everything else, this worldwide confrontation, Rick, I think is just beginning to escalate. It will get much bigger in the months to come. Well, I certainly agree. And that's going to be the theme of our interview today is Russia, Iran, China, and then juxtapose that with the rest of the Western world and, and the United States specifically. So let's go there. We'll look at the United States. We have been funding the Ukraine war effort against Russia. Now they're going to have to split the military funding that, that we are doing now with Israel and the new Speaker of the House. We finally got a Speaker of the House is saying that, you know, we're going to have to do these things separately. This is not going to be carte blanche anymore. Well, thank goodness for Mike Johnson. It's about time. We need to separate the two because Congress needs to have an open debate about funding for Ukraine. There are too many stories that we've heard of corruption in Ukraine. Uh, remember Zelensky a couple of weeks ago fired uh, some of the top people in the defense ministry 
on corruption charges. We don't know how much of a hundred billion or so that we've already allocated to Ukraine has gone missing. We don't know how much of that has helped Zelensky to buy apartments around the world in Spain or in London, for example. So yes, Congress needs to debate that aid for Ukraine. This said, there are a couple of potentially positive things. Uh, I just got out of a conference with uh, Steve Moore, who was one of President Trump's economic advisors, as uh, our listeners may recall. And he believes, and he's urging Congress, that if they do approve more aid for Ukraine, every single dollar should be offset by spending cuts. That is a very positive uh, message. And I think that's something that members of Congress could actually get behind at least some of the Republicans. They have been calling for spending cuts. Biden desperately wants this new money for Ukraine because uh, he knows and Ukrainians have been telling us that time is not on their side. They are running out of manpower. The Russians are not running out of manpower. The Russians may be uh, running out of equipment, which is why they're turning to North Korea and Iran for supplies, but they're not running out of manpower. And the longer the war continues, uh, the more uh, men the Russian will throw into the fray. And sooner or later, they will just outman the Ukrainians. Well, let's continue talking about U.S. politics and President Biden in particular. Where does he stand on this war? We look at this situation and he went to Israel. He was openly supportive. But then now there's many members in his party that are going to challenge him, especially the left wing of his party. And there are also others that are saying that he's keeping Israel from going into Gaza right now. Can you tell us where President Biden stands on this Israel-Hamas war? I wish I could tell you, Rick. Biden is uh, talking out of all sides of his mouth. Uh, He goes to Israel. He gives a speech which was well received by the Israelis, but apparently behind closed doors, he was telling Prime Minister Netanyahu to delay the ground attack on Gaza or perhaps to put it off entirely. Biden is confusing the issue. One of the reasons he's doing this is because he has a lobby inside the Democrat Party that is pro-Hamas. We've seen that erupt on city streets. We've seen that erupt on college campuses. This is one of the core constituencies of the Democrat Party, and they are pushing Biden to push for a ceasefire. Now, what people may not realize or what they may not have seen in the uh, national media here in this country is that Hamas and the Israelis actually had a ceasefire. They negotiated it and agreed to it 10 days before Hamas broke that ceasefire on October 7th and stormed across the border. Uh, And in that ceasefire agreement, the Israelis granted yet more work permits to Palestinians. We now know because those work permits have been found on dead Hamas fighters inside Israel, that they use those work permits to go carry out intelligence missions. Some of the survivors in Israel have now said publicly, uh, it was clear that the fighters who came in there, the terrorists who crossed the border, knew their names, how many children they had, even whether they had a dog. So the Hamas fighters, uh, Hamas was using these phony negotiations with Israel, this phony ceasefire with Israel to gather intelligence, to lull the Israelis to sleep. Uh, And so this is the problem. Biden is talking out of both sides of his mouth, ceasefire on the one hand, and Israel, we support you on the other. You can't have both. You certainly can't. But one thing we do know is you do need strong leadership. And we are hoping that 
President Biden can portray that, but no confidence as of right now, at least not from what we're seeing and what you're reporting here. Well, let's move on. We, we've already talked about Russia. We talked about Iran. We talked about the situation in Hamas. We brought up China already in this thing, this alliance that we talk about quite a bit. There seems to be things heating up, a, a near a close call between a, a Chinese jet and an American bomber, several different things, things going on in the Philippines. What is going on in China? Are they going to use the distraction of the world of being involved with Israel and being involved with Russia and Ukraine to maybe look at realizing their ambitions in Taiwan? I think quite possibly they could. They could push up the date of the takeover of Taiwan. And and remember, they don't necessarily have to conduct a military takeover of Taiwan. They can so intimidate the Taiwanese government. Uh, by uh, military buildup, by amphibious buildup, you know, across on the Chinese coastline facing Taiwan, that the Taiwanese could sign concessionary agreements with them. So let's not, you know, think out of the box a little bit, um, uh, Rick. The Chinese definitely are thinking out of the box. You mentioned a near miss between a B-52 bomber in international airspace and a Chinese military jet. Well, Rick, this is not the first time. In fact, since Joe Biden took office in January of 2021, there have been over 180 of these incidents in midair, near midair collisions caused, provoked by the Chinese Air Force trying to drive the United States away uh, from Chinese territory, even though our planes have been flying in international airspace. Under President Trump, you didn't see this. The Chinese were not uh, pulling our chains, so, so to speak. They're also telling Philippines, the United States, that we have no right to come in support of Philippines. They, they have a, a dispute over one of the islands in the South China Sea. Uh, China is definitely flexing their muscles, and they know that there is a weak president in the White House. In fact, there's a president who they have bought and paid for through with bribes before he came into office. Uh, you just have to wonder uh, what they are telling Joe Biden or letting him know behind closed doors. What more do they have to reveal to blackmail him to get him to do their bidding? I'm very concerned uh, about the next 16 months, Rick, the final months of the Biden presidency, a weak president, a president who's been compromised and bad actors out there who do not want to do good things to the United States of America. Well, we've only got about a minute, Ken, but all these things that you have brought up today and we look at this uh, this situation and I don't want to be accused of hyperbole here, but it certainly seems like we could be on the brink of almost a worldwide conflict, a World War III, if you will. When you look at Russia and China and Iran, that alliance has been growing and, and the Iran leading the Islamic world, it looks like. Maybe just your thoughts on where we're headed in this situation, Ken. But we are already in a worldwide conflict. You mentioned Ukraine, Russia. Uh, Gaza, Israel, the Philippines, uh, all of these different places where open conflict is erupted. Uh, so, and, and we are no longer capable, the U.S. military is no longer capable of fighting on a two or three front war. You know, this week, the Pentagon boasted that they had struck back at these Iranian-backed militia groups in Syria. They have attacked us 14 times since the October 7 Hamas uh, terror attack on Israel, and the U.S. had not uh, gone back and hit them. So we sent up two F-16s. They dropped a couple of bombs on some ammo dumps in Syria, and that is being portrayed as a great victory. No, that's not. That's a mosquito bite uh, on the back of the Iranian positions there. There were no people around in those ammo dumps. Israel does that four times a week. We did it once after being attacked 14 times. They, all of them, know that we have a weak president, that the U.S. military is not responding with strength 
And that is a provocation. It's an invitation to be attacked. Ken Timmerman reporting for us geopolitically, worldwide, many, many very concerning, very serious events going on. It certainly is time to continue to pray for this world, pray for its leaders as we headed to these uncharted territories. Ken, thank you for work you do keeping our listeners updated, and we look forward to talking to you soon. Thanks so much, Rick. God bless. Great job as always, Ken. Remember, we're focusing on events that have to do with Bible prophecy. We're going to take a break when we come back. Our weekly Middle East news update with David Dolan. Right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. American support is declining for Ukrainian war costs. A survey last month by the Chicago Council on Global Affairs showed 47% of Americans are willing to endure costs for Ukraine funding. That's down from 58% over a year ago. Slava Gospel Association's Eric Mock says growing negative perceptions could also impact Ukrainian ministry support. Now is not the time to step away from supporting these churches because not only are these churches continuing to be salt and light, but from them are coming a faithful number of believers that are impacting the nations. Learn more at missionnews.org. Ukrainian churches supported by Slava Gospel Association still need your support. Biblical training's going on and caring for the people's training, and now's not the time to let our foot off the pedal. And in 2007, the Iranian Bible Society in Diaspora released a Farsi Bible translation called Today's Persian Version. But since language is changing year to year, 2015, our translation team started to have a revision. IBSD's Nahid Sapari says a team of Bible translators worked for years on the revision. It's called Today's Persian Version Revised, and it is ready right now for distribution. This translation audience is people with middle school education. If they can understand the educated people can understand it too. IBSD distributes Bibles to Iranians worldwide. Iranian, they are everywhere. So I have to look people in each country. It's a big job. Thanks for listening to Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries. We're listener supported by people just like you. So by giving to Mission Network News, you enable us to keep the stories of God's kingdom coming. And together, the Great Commission happens. Look for links at missionnews.org. I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. This is the time of the program where we do what we call our Middle East News Update. And we do it with our good friend, longtime CBS journalist uh, in the land, along with many other outlets that he worked for, David Dolan. David, welcome to the program. It's a blessing to be with you, Jimmy. Yes, sir. You know, David, I have to thank you. Uh, David, we're going into our fourth week, the fourth week, the beginning, the 22nd day, the, f- the fourth week of this conflict into this war. And you have kept us aware on a daily basis, uh, on a, every each weekend, uh, your expertise, your knowledge of the land. I have to thank you on behalf of everybody that listens to the program. David, thank you for being a part of this program. Well, I'm glad to be a part. I wish it was uh, better news for sure. We've been expecting this war for a long, long time, as you know, and here it is, and it's hard to uh, watch it uh, even so. But uh, it's a blessing to be able to keep people informed and hopefully to inform their prayers as well. Yes, sir. So, David, what do we know (laughs) uh, beginning the the fourth week of this war? 
Well, uh, last evening, uh, Jimmy, we had something major going on. We had Israeli tanks going into the Gaza Strip and ground forces and air cover. However, the IDF said it was just another before full incursion uh, raid. Uh, they're, you know, softening the ground, softening the targets, mm-hmm. etc. However, Hamas said it was the start of the full uh, invasion, and some uh, commentators noted that Israel wouldn't announce in advance or at mm. the very start of an incursion. They would wait to confirm that. But it's certainly a very near if it isn't actually happening. Um, we learned from the IDF earlier on Friday that Hamas has stationed a full military headquarters underneath the largest hospital in Gaza City, mm. the largest in the entire Strip, in a bunker built underneath it. It's got tunnels connecting out to the tunnel system of 300 miles of tunnels that Hamas has built in uh, recent decades since Israel pulled out in 2005. We know where a lot of the foreign aid uh, to the Gaza Strip has been going, Mm. these elaborate tunnels. So uh, that is a terrible situation. There's 1,500 patients in the hospital, 4,000 staff, and the IDF said they're being held uh, human hostages, basically shields, I should say, mm-hmm. to prevent Israel from striking. The IDF also said that the uh, police, the Gaza-Hamas-controlled uh, police force, has a major office inside of the hospital, and that the command center for rocket firing is also inside of the hospital, not in the underground bunker, but somewhere else in it. So they've massed a lot of their military force right around there, And uh, it's going to be, of course, very difficult for Israel to strike uh, a hospital. They've already been accused of doing that and didn't do that. Mm -hmm. And, of course, uh, Jimmy, this comes as the U.N. voted on Friday to uh, condemn Israel and call for a ceasefire and the same sort of things we're always hearing. And the Israeli ambassador spoke about this uh, Hamas center under the hospital at the U.N. and um, uh, talked about the continuing rocket attacks. We had another apartment building hit directly in Tel Aviv on Friday. We had another one in Pedak Tikva hit a Thursday. That was a home. We had one hit in Rishon LeZion. That injured uh, three or four people, about uh, uh, 20 Israelis wounded in the past couple of days. And, of course, we're having action still in the north uh, between Hezbollah and IDF forces. And fr- on Thursday, we had the deepest IDF airstrike into uh, Lebanon so far in the conflict up there. And, of course, more rockets fired at northern Israel, one hitting an apartment right along the coast, Mediterranean coast, and uh, uh, over 100,000 Israelis now evacuated from their homes in the north to spare them, obviously, from getting directly uh, wounded in this conflict. Mm. You know, David, uh, let's investigate the tunnel system a little bit. Uh, from your experience there, what do we know about the tunnels and, and how long have they been building these? Uh, where did they get the money to build these tunnels and how extensive are they? Well, I said they think it's 300 miles, Jimmy, mm-hmm. which is <laughs> of underground tunnels and uh, the Gaza Strip. You know, 300 miles is about six times as long as the entire strip is. So right. that's extensive. And they began before the Israeli uh, pullout of 2005. They started building them, Jimmy, in the 1990s. Uh, they, of course, were founded in 1987 and uh, 
basically took over the first Palestinian uprising. And in the early 90s, they started, but they were very primitive. The Israelis could bomb them and destroy them pretty easily. They built tunnels into Israel. They built them in Gaza City to connect these Hamas uh, positions, ministries, government positions, police positions all together. But over the past 10, 15 years, They've reinforced them. They've expanded them. You can walk in them now. You used to have to crawl. They bring equipment, missiles, uh, people, obviously the hostages, we believe. Um, they claimed this week, Hamas did, that uh, 50 of them or so have been killed by Israeli airstrikes. But that's not likely because we think they're in the tunnels, and these are bomb-proof tunnels, yes. uh, pretty deep underground, Jimmy. So. They can hide there. They can operate from there. They can go in and out of this hospital headquarters without anyone seeing them in the hospital because they're all underground. Mm. So Israel needs to go in to the tunnels itself and blow them up. Uh, They obviously can't strike that main headquarters from above unless the hospital is completely evacuated, which Hamas has already stated they won't do. So it's a big, big problem, and it just shows that They've been spending probably most of their foreign aid. They get that from Qatar. They get it Mm -hmm. from the U.N. They get it from Egypt. They get it from other Gulf countries, Saudi Arabia. Uh, Not much because they're not real thrilled with Hamas, but they do make token uh, gifts to them. And uh, obviously they've been spending a good portion of that, not on their people, not not building anything for them, no factories, but these massive uh, networks of underground tunnels. Uh, there's been a little bit, uh, a few op-eds that I've seen in the in, in our news sources that we use. Uh, how is the government handling this situation now? Well, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu admitted this week for the first time that he bears ultimate responsibility for mm. the war in the sense that, uh, for the massacre at least, that Hamas carried out, in that it wasn't prevented, it wasn't foreseen. And he said, I am, you know, the buck stops here. But he also said he'll stay in power and he'll complete this and they will get rid of Hamas. Benny Gantz, his senior partner now in the emergency government on the five-man war cabinet, is fully supporting him. Of course, he's a former chief of staff with great military experience, a lot greater than Netanyahu, frankly. And um, he's got three former chiefs of staff on this five-man war cabinet, uh, Jimmy, so it's a pretty strong one. The people opinion polls show they still overwhelmingly support going in. Why? Because they no longer can have Hamas living right next door. Mm. As somebody pointed out in Israel TV, ISIS was a continent away, an ocean away, and Mm -hmm. on another continent based from the United States. But uh, Hamas is right, you know, 30 miles south of Tel Aviv, their main urban center. So they've determined they have to get rid of it. They can't live with it anymore. But they all know it's going to be a very costly fight, probably a lot of casualties on both sides. And, of course, in the north, we're still waiting to see if Hezbollah fully engages. And the expectation is uh, that they will do so after Ayatollah Khamenei basically said so uh, earlier in the week in a speech. And, of course, these continuing attacks on U.S. bases in Iraq and Syria. We had another one on Friday at the air base in Iraq. That's the 20th so far. Of course, the U.S. struck on uh, on uh, Thursday against a uh, arms depot that they said was a, uh, an Iranian arms depot, basically, that was firing rockets uh, from there towards uh, uh, a U.S. base in Syria. So 
that was uh, obviously not a deterrent because they struck again the next day. So the war is expanding and people are nervous and very anxious about it all over the region and really all over the world, I think. But um, Israel has to do this, they feel, and they are determined to carry it out until its uh, goal is achieved. Yes. And David, our, our theme for today's program is a time of Jacob's trouble. We certainly see Israel right now in the birth pains, really the the time that is bringing us to that period of history. And uh, we're seeing many nations that are looking to join this conflict. David, thank you so much for joining again. On behalf of everyone, thank you so much for keeping us aware of what's going on in, in, in God's land, the Holy Land, the place where in the past, the present, and the future, Bible prophecy is all about. Thank you, David. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you, and keep up the good work on your end, too, as well, Jimmy. God bless. You know, David, we started out the program today with the time of Jacob's trouble. Verse 5 in Jeremiah 30 describes Jacob's trouble as a time of great fear and trembling. Verse 6 describes it in terms of pains of a childbirth, indicating a time of agony. But there is hope for the people of Israel, for the Lord promises he will save them. And even though in history there has never been such a time of terror, God will deliver his people. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, Itamar Marcus, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Every event that we examine does fit into Bible prophecy. Don't worry about us not uh, finding an event that has nothing related to Bible prophecy. Everything that we talk about really does help us to understand why the world is acting as it is. Uh, the plight of the Jewish people, uh, how God is sustaining them. You know, in Jeremiah 30, verses 10 and 11, the Lord references the blessings that will come after the time of Jacob's trouble. I will surely save you out of a distant place, your descendants from the land of their exile. Jacob will again have peace and security. They don't have it right now. And no one will make him afraid. I am with you and will save you, declares the Lord. Well, that is something that we look forward to the future. The time of Jacob's trouble is a period of time in the future, and we'll talk about that later on. 
In the next half hour, Itamar Marcus is right around the corner, Rick. And then we have Dr. Andy Woods giving his take. He's a great prophecy teacher and he's a pastor out of Texas. Well, Rick, let's uh, talk to Itamar Marcus, who is our friend at Palestinian Media Watch, palwatch.org. Well, that's right, Jimmy. I have got Itamar Marcus from Palestinian Media Watch. It's it's an organization. It's a website. The website is palwatch.org. It's a place where you can go to see what the Palestinian media is showing to their people. Itamar, thank you so much for taking this time to join us today. Nice to be with you. Itamar, you have been with us, you and other members from Palestinian Media Watch, and you have been talking to us about this for a long time. And you have been saying what's been in textbooks, what the Palestinian media is saying to their constituents, to the Palestinians. But October 7th, I don't know if we had been following what you had saying, it would not have come as a surprise to us. But if you could, could you just let us know how did this happen? How are you and your organization helping to let people know why this happened and what can we do going forward here? Well, uh, there are two things that you have to look at when trying to figure out why this happened. The first one is the long-term problem, and the second is the immediate. The long-term problem is that the Palestinian Authority, since we've been following the PA, so we're talking about over 20 years, has been teaching its people, its children, to hate Israelis, to hate Jews. They've taught to hate for every different reason in the world. They, they teach children, for example, in, that Israel is bloodthirsty, seeking out the blood of Palestinian children. There was one children's program where the moderator had little kids in the audience, and she says to everybody, um, remember, don't go outside. If you're age 15, even 10, 11, 15, don't go outside by yourselves because only with your parents, because Israeli soldiers are looking to target children. The kids grow up with this fear of Israelis that were monsters, uh, and that we want to kill them. They, there's a second component, is the religious component. There's the religious hatred of Jews. Uh, the third component is the denial of Israel's right to exist. Israel stole your land. You should hate them for that reason also. And many, many other lies and libels. The that they teach them, they say that we poison and do medical experiments on their prisoners in jail, uh, that we intentionally kill them. Uh, It's literally the Palestinian child's world is one where he actually believes that there is nothing as evil in the world as Israel and Jews, and that his religion expects him to both destroy Israel and kill Jews. Now, Hamas exists and is successful because the Palestinian Authority has been in charge of education for all these years. They brought the kids up, they taught them to hate, they taught them to kill, and then when a kid reaches 18, 19, 20, 21, he says, wait, that's what Hamas is doing, I'm going to join them. So it is literally Palestinian Authority, some people say, okay, maybe they're the solution. They're not the solution, they were the source of the problem. And that's how we got here the long term. The immediate reason, so, so, so the reason we got here is because Palestinians have been brought up on this desire to kill Israelis. Then what happened was Israel became unfortunately complacent. Every night it comes out that we had all the intelligence information. Tonight on the news we saw literally pictures of those same uh, pickup trucks that they used to cross Israel's border. Pictures with one day they had dozens of those trucks right at the edge there. They had all these uh, senior officials. They're busy staring, getting intelligence information. So we knew it. We knew they were planning, but somehow the military establishment was overconfident. 
and thought that they couldn't possibly dare do something like that. And uh, when 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 you're thinking, you know, not out of the box, but thinking rational, that's what happens. And you, when you're dealing with people who who come to slaughter, you can't think rationally. You have to anticipate, you know, the absolute worst. So we had those two components: the long-term hatred they were taught, and the short-term unfortunate mistake by the Israeli military who who saw the evidence but made the wrong conclusions. So you're saying if you look at this, and we look at these young men mainly that have committed these incredible atrocities when they came over, killing babies, beheading babies, burning people alive, different things that they've done. We've seen it in the news. All these things, these were conditioned, these were groomed by the leadership that is currently in place. And really, from what you're saying, you're saying that there's not a whole lot of difference between Hamas, which is that organization that was in control in Gaza, and the Palestinian Authority, which is in control in the area that is called the West Bank or Judea and Samaria, uh, the head of the Fatah, Mahmoud Abbas, they're essentially almost one and the same, aren't they? Exactly. Fatah and Mahmoud Abbas are one and the same. And the ideology of the Palestinian Authority and Hamas, although politically they're different um, because they compete politically, they all want power. Uh, ideologically, they are the same. The Palestinian Authority is a little bit more cautious because they get hundreds of millions of dollars in foreign aid every year, including hundreds of millions from the United States. So they don't want to get so that they talk a moderate message publicly. They talk a moderate message when they speak to visitors from Washington and also when they're in Europe. But uh, but to their own people, and this is what we've been warning about for years, to their own people, bringing up kids on hate, bringing up kids in summer camps where they have military training and they're taught to kill. When you look at the way the kids are brought up and the way the people are taught and the, the religious sermons, you realize there's no fundamental difference. And I've told foreign leaders many, many times, both in Europe and the United States, don't listen to what they tell you, listen to what they tell their own people. Well, that's a good point, Itamar. And if, if I could ask you that, then essentially, I think in the past you have been talking and people have been saying, yes, but. Yes, but they're that's the only people that we have to deal with. Yes, but we've got them under control. Yes, but they can't hurt us. Well, we obviously know now that is not true. Do you think that there will be more of a situation of monitoring what is being disseminated to the Palestinian people? Because obviously these things have consequences. Yes, there's definitely going to be, first of all, just the, the interest um, in the Israeli press. I've been having two, two or three interviews a day, sometimes four interviews, mostly Israeli press, also foreign press like you. And everybody wants to know how this happened. And I'm giving them the same answer I give you. I'm giving them documentation. And I was invited today to meet with the senior minister uh, who's involved in security um, next week because they want to hear they want to hear exactly how this happened. And the fact that we're, and the minister then wants to, um, you know, present our findings to the entire government. So what we're seeing is when you had a terrible tragedy, at least it seems to have woken up the Israeli leadership. And I'm hoping that, you know, when we can get our message and get the evidence to them that they've been ignoring all these years, and let them see it with their own eyes, they'll realize that they have to have an alternative both to Hamas and to the Palestinian Authority. 
Well, that's a difficult question, and we continue to move forward, and we look at this. And when you're looking at an entity, uh, the chant from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free, which is from the Jordan River to the Mediterranean Sea, which is the area that encompasses even the pre-1967 Israeli borders. When you're dealing with an organization that is committed to your destruction, is there a chance that there will be some type of I don't even know, some type of a living arrangement or however you want to say it. I mean, is there even a possibility or is it just going to be an armed standoff for the future? First of all, you're minimizing the severity of the situation. They not only say from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. They say, what can I, how should I wear this? From the river to the river, meaning going the entire way around the world, the world will be free of Jews. Uh, part of their ideology is that the uh, the hour, that the end of time, the Muslim end of time, is contingent on the extermination of Jews, and it's going to happen by Muslims. And 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 whereas Hamas has this in their charter, the Palestinians already has mentioned this many times. I mentioned religious leaders have talked about this, quoted the sources on television many times. Last Thursday, the Ministry of Religion of the Palestinian Authority sent out a page of instructions to all the preachers in the mosques for their Friday sermons, giving them instructions what to preach about. And it included this Islamic source that conditioned the end of time and redemption of humanity and resurrection, conditioned it on the extermination of Jews by Muslims, that Muslims have this role to destroy the Jewish people. So when when you say from, 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 uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be free. From the river to the river, going all the way around, the world will be free of Jews. This is the Palestinian ideology. And um, that's why when you say, can we have a reconciliation? We can't have a reconciliation. We can have a temporary reconciliation. We can defeat them and force them into submission like we had done after the 67 war. We had many years of security. But once they have any kind of independence, which is what the world is pushing for, which is what the United States is pushing for, which is Europe, who talk about a two-state solution. There is no doubt within those frameworks, these people are going to go back to their river to the sea and river to the river ideology, um, and uh, and then they're going to build up their, uh, their hate and their terror structures again. Itamar Marcus of Palestinian Media Watch and his website, his organization provides a valuable resource. How can we follow what you said? If you could, just let us know what is the best way for people that are listening to this program right now to keep track of what the Palestinians are saying. And I think at this point, we have to believe what they're saying because obviously they are willing to do things that maybe in the past we didn't think that they were capable of doing. So how could we follow your organization and keep track of the Palestinian media? So go on the internet to www.palwatch.org. And on the top of the page, you have the ability to subscribe to our daily newsletter, and then you will be updated every day. You'll get all the quotes, all the sources, all the videos, so that you'll know what I was just telling you now is actually not my opinions. It's just repeating and documenting what the Palestinian Authority has been saying all along. Itamar, thank you for being on the program today. Our prayers are with you and all of those in Israel right now, and we appreciate the work that you do to keep us informed, and we'll be talking to you again soon. Thank you very much for this opportunity to tell this to your listeners. Itamar Marcus with PowWatch.org. You know, it's very important 
that we listen to what people say. Not only what they say in public, but how they make decisions. And usually when they make decisions against the state of Israel, that means that they're not a friend of Israel. Again, we focus on the Jewish people because God is not finished with the Jews and he still has a plan for the Jewish people in the future. Dr. Andy Woods, Rick, let's talk to Dr. Woods about uh, what his thoughts are concerning Bible prophecy in this time period. Well, that's right, Jimmy. I do have Pastor Andy Woods with me. He's the senior pastor of Sugarland Bible Church and a noted Bible prophecy teacher. He's been on the program before. He's a good friend of ours. Pastor Woods, thank you for joining us. Hey, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I wish it was in better circumstances. I was to talk to you today, but as we are looking at this situation, October 7th, we haven't talked to you since then. If I understand correctly, you were actually on a cruise ship getting ready to head into Israel. I was getting ready. The follow It happened on Saturday. I was getting ready to head, head into Israel myself on Monday for a tour group and surprised. We shouldn't have been surprised, but uh, certainly shocked the shocking events of that day. We haven't talked to you since then. If you could just give us a general overview what this means for the Jewish nation of Israel, the Jewish state of Israel, and Bible prophecy. I'll ask you some more pointed questions later, but just your general thoughts about October 7th. Well, we know from Zechariah's prophecies that Israel would become a burdensome stone to the nations in the last days. And so this fits into that pattern. Israel is attacked from Gaza, and now Israel is weighing how she's going to respond. And of course, we're not sure how the world community is going to react once she starts to respond, if she starts to respond. And we're thinking, you know, possibly the the world could turn against Israel uh, just because the world doesn't want war. And so as that scenario begins to unfold, it certainly looks an awful lot like Zechariah chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, which indicate all the nations would come against Israel and Jerusalem in the last days. And Israel would become sort of that cup of trembling uh, that would send the nations reeling. Pastor, as you look at this situation, one of the things I noticed, I heard you talk about it on your program as well, the anti-Semitism, the anti-Jewishness that has come up in this world, immediately people starting almost to blame it, well, not almost, actually blaming Israel for this attack that killed babies, that killed women and children, that took over 200 prisoners. And I was talking to my wife the other day, and she looked at me, and you know, she said, this is how the Holocaust happened because, you know, people were willing to believe what they wanted to believe. And there was this pervasive anti-Semitism. And this is something that the Bible talks about. Could you talk a little bit about the anti-Semitism that we're seeing and what the Bible says about that? Well, we know from Revelation chapter 12 that Satan's ambition, you know, is to eradicate the Jewish nation and people so that God's promises through Israel can never come to fruition. And he's very fearful of the coming kingdom, which will come to the world through Israel. And so he works in history to blot out the Jewish people and nations so that such promises can never materialize. And so when the world sort of turns against Israel in an irrational way, I mean, I don't I don't know of any nation, certainly the United States, when we got hit by 9-11, you know, at 9-11, the question was not really if we would respond, but but when and how. Uh, any nation that's hit is allowed to defend itself and to root out 
terrorism so that she won't get hit again. And somehow in this particular circumstance, the nation of Israel is being put under some kind of standard that you wouldn't expect any other nation have to abide by or a standard that wouldn't be imposed on any other nation. Israel's always treated with sort of a separate standard, a separate set of gloves. Israel is expected to show restraint. Uh, Israel is expected to move into a ceasefire. And so, you know, the rest of the nations can behave one way. Israel is supposed to behave a different way. And to me, that's sort of the outworking of anti-Semitism, a double standard imposed upon the nation of Israel. And, and as I mentioned before, we know where that standard of being unrealistic comes from. It ultimately comes from the devil himself, who has uh, engaged in a spiritual war against the Jewish nation and the Jewish people. This uh, may veer into opinion or your opinion a little bit, but as this war continues, and I think we both agree world opinion will turn even more so than it is now against Israel, if you could give me your opinion on what Israel realistically needs to do to protect themselves, and then secondly, as a pastor and a prophecy teacher, I mean, one who's who knows prophecy very well, what should we in the Christian community do to support Israel? Well, I mean, my my opinion is what Israel should do is after they have been um, attacked, they have a responsibility to root out terrorist cells within their own borders. And these things are coming from Gaza, which is a little strip of real estate, you know, as you know, in the southwestern uh, portion of the map, you know, concerning Israel. And, you know, if suddenly Israel dealt with those terror cells, I think she'd be completely within her rights, uh, within her responsibilities as a nation. And as a pastor, you know, I'm looking for lives to be spared. I don't see how lives can be spared, how we can stand for uh, human rights and human life when when terrorism is allowed to go sort of un, unfettered. And so I, I believe in the concept of peace through strength. I believe in aggressive military action, not for the purpose of creating more mayhem and war, but for the purpose of lasting peace. And I don't really fully understand how not dealing with uh, circumstances like these is going to save more human lives. I think if you just let it go, it's going to lead to more and more human casualties, which I'm not in favor of from a biblical perspective. Well, as we continue to look at this situation, we look at it from the perspective of the Islamic world. The anti-Semitism or the support for Gaza and the kind of the unrealistic support is very concerning. There's a, a large amount of pretending that certain things are taking place when they're not. So this is something that we have to continue to look at, to examine closely, to watch where we get our media from. But what does the Bible say about the Islamic world? And again, if you could, maybe just dig a little bit deeper. You talked about this as a satanic attack to, to destroy the Jewish people, and it looks like uh, Satan is using Islam. And I think that uh, is something that we can talk about a little bit on this program. Yeah, I think it's hard to analyze a situation like this without understanding Islam. You know, Islam is the motivation behind the attack. You know, two Muslims, Jerusalem, I think illegitimately, but they believe Jerusalem is a holy site. And that's where uh, Muhammad allegedly ascended back to Allah. 
on a steed named uh, Barak, of all, of all names. And uh, so they look at Jerusalem as a holy site, and they look at any nation that exists in any territory that Islam has ruled over in the past is some sort of usurper and some sort of disrespecter to Allah. And so once you understand uh, what Islam is teaching on these things, you can understand how consistent Islam or, you know, what we would call fundamentalist Islam. I don't really like the expression radical Islam. It's just Muslims, you know, going all of the way in terms of interpreting their religious literature consistently. You can see how that is uh, really the source of the problem. That's why there's tension in that part of the world. That's why this uh, attack from Hamas came. It's largely a ideological and, and religious war. And Islam is sort of the, uh, the fuse, if you will, that uh, ignites the bomb or the, the tension in that part of the world. The tension in that part of the world wouldn't exist without Islam. And interestingly, Ezekiel 38 and 39, a prophecy that you talk about frequently, is mentions uh, Turkey, uh, Iran, Russia, and other nations invading Israel in the last days. And it's interesting that all of the nations that Ezekiel speaks of, with the possible exception of Rosh or Russia, are Islamic. Those are Islamic countries. And so Islam is sort of the tie that binds, you know, that's sort of going to ignite this last day's invasion. And so I believe uh, Islam is ultimately going to be defeated, but it's still prior to that, has a monumental role to play in God's end-time program. As we do as well, Dr. Woods, and we continue to look at this. So you brought up Ezekiel 38 and that Gog-Magog war, and that war that is going to happen in the future, that's what Bible prophecy says, these events, and then the kind of the different countries that are rallying around the situation that's taking place there in Gaza, between Gaza and Israel, between the Palestinians and the Israelis or the Jewish people, this fits right in to what uh, the Bible says is going to happen in Ezekiel 38 in this Gog-Magog war, does it not? Yeah, I mean, what's happened since October the 7th has not caused the uh, Gog-Magog Ezekiel 38 and 39 scenario to become more murky or more ambiguous. I mean, to my mind, it's clarified it. Mm -hmm. uh, certainly Iran, um, the number one state sponsor of terror, uh, as everybody knows, is somehow involved in, you know, helping Hamas launch these types of attacks from Gaza. Uh, Turkey has, Erdogan of Turkey has now warned the United States not to get involved or there's going to be repercussions. Um, Putin is using the situation to call for a two-state solution. That's That's his answer to problems in the region. And these are all things that have happened, you know, post October the 7th. And so all of those players that I've mentioned are all names of nations mentioned in Ezekiel 38 and 39. And so all of these nations are, have been fitting into their prophetic orbit for a long time. In my opinion, the whole situation since October the 7th has crystallized and clarified things the nations are more in alignment now and not in, you know, disalignment. 
Certainly so. I agree with you wholeheartedly there. And so if we look at these events, and of course you believe, as I do believe, that this Gog-Magog war takes place after the rapture of the church. And if we look at the situation, if these things are crystallizing, like you say, and these events are becoming clear, my question to you, how close are we to the rapture of the church. And then as a pastor, and I I certainly appreciate the fact that not only are you a prophecy teacher, but you're also a pastor, how should this cause us to live? Well, you know, this time of the year, this analogy works really well because um, pretty soon we're going to start seeing the signs for Christmas, (laughs) Santa Claus and Mm -hmm. Christmas tree lights. And as the saying goes, the signs of Christmas, you know, indicate that Thanksgiving... (laughs) is coming because Thanksgiving occurs earlier in the calendar than Christmas. And so Santa Claus and Christmas tree lights indicate that, wow, we better get our turkeys ready because Thanksgiving's coming even faster. I think that's the pretty good analogy for looking at end time events. I mean, if, if Ezekiel 38 and 39 is in fact a tribulation type passage, which we think it is, and the rapture of the church precedes the tribulation period, then the rapture must be coming even faster. And so we need to live every day of our lives in terms of our priorities as if uh, this could be our last day on planet Earth. And so if you're not going to live for God now and consecrate yourself unto God now, you know, if not now, when? And so that's what teachings like this are designed to, by the Holy Spirit to communicate to really get us to rethink our lives, really get us to rethink our priorities, and to live for things that matter and count. And the soon coming of the rapture certainly impels us in that direction. It certainly does. Dr. Andy Woods, Pastor Andy Woods, the website is www.andywoodsministries.org. You can find out more. He's got a YouTube program, several different ways that you can follow along with his teaching, as well as his commentary on what is taking place in the Middle East. We appreciate your friendship with our program, and we appreciate you being on, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Yeah, great to be here, and Always, it's a joy um, to be here, and and thanks for the stand that you're taking on uh, Israel and Bible prophecy. Well, we've got to take a break, and when we come back, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Today on the program, we're talking about the time of Jacob's trouble. It's a phrase that comes from Jeremiah 30, verse 7, which says, Alas, for the day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. That is future. It is our view that the time of Jacob's trouble corresponds to that seven-year tribulation period of the end times. First mentioned in Daniel chapter 9. Again mentioned in Matthew chapter 24, Luke chapter 21, Revelation chapter 6 to Revelation chapter 19. All the time of Jacob's trouble. And it's all there because God is getting the Jewish people to a place where they will recognize that he is God, that his son Jesus Christ was sent to this earth to die for mankind. How do I know all of that? Well, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, my father, 
wrote some commentaries. He taught me everything I know, but he also wrote some commentaries that you can have access to. It's Daniel, Ezekiel, and Revelation. Just go to our website, prophecytoday.com. Well, we're starting a study today, and I thought it would be good to see the plan that was developed by Satan to kill all the Jews on the earth with a terrible holocaust. And I'm not talking about the holocaust of World War II, but a worse holocaust yet to come. The Apostle John in the book of Revelation reveals Satan's plan to kill every Jew. You see, if that happens, then God will not be able to fulfill his promise to the Jewish people. Satan will be the winner. However, that will not happen. Satan will lose in the end. And this is our study for this week. Please take your Bible and go to the book of Revelation, chapter 12. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. Go to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation, the rapture of the church. Jesus shouts, Archangel shouts, trumpet God sounds, and we're out of here to be with him. The rapture, the next activity to take place. And then after that's going to be a seven-year period of time. Seven years of terrible holocaust. Hello? Holocaust on the face of the earth. Half of the earth's population, 3.5 billion people, are going to be killed. Plus many, many more will come to death. The Bible talks about in the book of Zechariah, chapter 13 and verse 8, two out of every three Jews will be killed. Listen, the worst holocaust yet to take place on the earth happened 65 years ago in World War II when Adolf Hitler killed six million people, six Jewish million people, because he was trying to set up a kingdom, false doctrine leading to that. By the way, that was one-third of the Earth's Jewish population at that time. In World War II, there were 18 million Jews. He killed 6 million of them. That left 12 million. We have today approximately 12.5 million Jews upon the Earth. The next Holocaust will kill two out of every three. That's 8 million-plus Jews yet to be killed. And it's all a result. And what happens from that flood activity? The retribution from the flood. Evil angels playing a key role to kill Jewish people. Go over here to Revelation chapter 12 with me first. Chapter 12, and let me set the stage for chapter 9. Chapter 12. Chapter 12 is at the midway point of the tribulation. The first three and a half years have been completed. The church, a false church in Rome was established, chapter 17. There were two witnesses that would preach for three and a half years, 1260 days. The text says, that's chapter 11 of the book of Revelation. Then we come to chapter 12 of the book of Revelation, starting in verse 7. Chapter 12 and verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels. They prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And that great dragon, by the way, apocalyptic literature, who's the dragon? We're going to get the definition right now in verse 9. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, that old serpent that appeared to Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. He was he deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out onto the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Look at verse 12. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe unto the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. 
For the devil has come down unto you having great wrath because he knoweth he hath but a short time. Look at verse 13. What's the purpose of these evil angels when they come to earth? And when the dragon saw that he was cast onto the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man child. That's apocalyptic literature defined earlier in chapter 12 as the Jewish people, the one who would bring that Messiah. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Skip to verse 17. And the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed which keepeth the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so when Satan and his evil angels are thrown out of heaven down to the earth, they're going to attack the Jewish people. They're going to try to wipe out the Jewish people. That's only the first stage. Go to chapter 9. By the way, the book of Revelation, listen to me, folks. The book of Revelation, you do not study it numerically. You must study it chronologically if you're going to understand it. Not numerically, chapter 1 to 22, chronologically. I just talked from chapter 12. That's the midway point of the tribulation. And then in the last three and a half years, the seven trumpet judgments and the seven vile judgments unfold. We're now coming to the fifth of the trumpet judgments, chapter 9 and verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven. That's not a star like twinkle, twinkle, little star. That's a star like Michael Jordan is a basketball star. And I saw a star fall from heaven. Here's how I know what it's talking about. Unto the earth and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit to Satan. The star was given the key to the bottomless pit. Verse 2, and he opened the bottomless pit. And there arose the smoke out of the pit as the smoke of the great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by the reason of the smoke of the pit. This pit, the abyss, the Totorus, the bottomless pit in the heavenly someplace. I believe a black hole. We can argue about that all day if you want to. But it has evidence that it was in the heavens. How do I know? Because when the door was open, the smoke in it covered the sun. And it said it covered the air. That word air used here in chapter 9 is the same word used in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 when it says, And we shall be caught up to meet him in the air. Someplace in the air, this Totorus, where these evil angels have been held in prison and they're released. You know what they are? Unidentified flying objects, UFOs, alien creatures. Yeah, I believe in UFOs. I believe in alien creatures. He called them locusts. It's not like any locusts I've ever seen. Hopper, grasshoppers, you know? Look here, verse 7. Let's see what these locusts, grasshoppers look like. And the shapes of the locusts were like unto horses prepared unto battle. And on their heads was, as it were, crowns of gold. And their faces were the faces of men. And they had hair as the hair of a woman. And their teeth was the teeth of lions. And they had a breastplate, as it were, breastplates of iron. Look at verse 10. And they had tails like unto scorpions. You ever seen a grasshopper like that? Looks like a horse going to battle, a face of a man, hair of a woman, teeth of a lion, breastplate of a, of a soldier going to war, and a scorpion's tail? I've never seen a grasshopper like that. That's an unidentified flying object. That's an alien creature coming in from outer space in the abyss where they are coming to attack and kill one-third of the Earth's population. I'll get to it in just a moment. Yeah, I do believe in unidentified flying objects and aliens. What they are, are evil angels taking on the form of whatever they want to. Maybe even looking like a saucer, flying saucer. It's evil angels. They're evil angels. No other planet 
No other place in all of creation except the earth, which was to be inhabited. Isaiah 48. And so it is. These evil angels attack the earth. Look here. Go to the sixth trumpet judgment. Show you how many it's going to be. The number, verse 16 of chapter 9, the number of the army of the horsemen were 200,000,000. That's 200 million evil angels. Somebody say, hey, wait a minute, man. There's 200 million. Uh, That has to be the militia in red China. No, it doesn't. Because that's the sixth file judgment, chapter 16. This is the sixth trumpet judgment. You got a lot of judgments to go. And besides, what did these locusts look like? Horsemen running to battle. 200 million of them are released. And they kill one third. Notice here, verse 18. By these three was the third part of the men killed. That's 1.5 billion. The fourth sealed judgment, one fourth of the earth is killed at 6 billion people. That would be 1.5 billion, leaving three quarters. You take another third away, that leaves half. That's 1.5 billion killed in the fourth seal judgment. In the sixth trumpet judgment, another 1.5 billion. Half the earth is destroyed. And most of them, Jews. Why? Satan realizes, I will be equal with God. I will be worshipped in Jerusalem. We talked about the war in the heavens. That takes place. The aggressiveness of this angelic activity takes place. But listen to me. Evil angels are at work right now. Daniel chapter 11, verses 13 and 20. In verse 13, it talks about the evil angel, the evil angel of Persia. You know who that was? Haman in the book of Esther. The evil angel. This is talking about evil angels taking control of human bodies dispatched by Satan. What did Haman want to do? Kill all the Jews. He had the king Ahasuerus write the law of the Medes and the Persians. Give me the right. I'll kill every Jew. Oh, then in verse 20, it talks about the evil angel taking control of Greece. Well, who was that? Antiochus Epiphanes of Daniel chapter 11. Antiochus Epiphanes comes along, desecrates the temple, the first abomination of desolation, and then wants to kill off the Jews. Evil angels taking control. How do I know that happens? Well, I read Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities, powers of darkness, evil in the heavenlies, world rulers. Who's the king of this world now? Satan. Dispatching evil angels to take control of human world leaders. I stood in front of Yasser Arafat. I am not a psychic. I'm not a mind reader. But I looked at Yasser Arafat right in his eyes. I knew he was evil. Completely controlled. Demonically controlled. And killing. That's an evil man. Satanically controlled. Adolf Hitler. Satanically controlled. Do some study about Adolf Hitler. Man, he was into the occult, to witchcraft. He never made a decision without having a seance with a witch. He was demonically controlled and gave the order to kill six million Jews. It's happening. But it's not only happening in political activities. It's happening in the pulpit. 
2 Corinthians chapter 11. What? Know you not that the devil is an angel of light? Read the rest of it. And his ministers of righteousness. Better check them out. Check me out. Make sure I'm conforming to that book. I don't care who it is. Hold the same standard high. Because the pulpit will be controlled by evil angels in the last days to do what? Wipe out the Jews. A holocaust to cause plans of God not to be fulfilled. So Satan takes control. That was the reason for the flood. That's what happened before. What did Jesus say? As it was in the days of Noah, so it shall be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. We're here. Stage is set. All the actors in place. Curtain's about to go up on his second coming. Indeed, the stage is set for the final drama to be played out. Everything that must be set in place for this final act to begin is in place. I pray that this study has alerted you to the plans of Satan. This study is a reminder of the events of the last days after the rapture of the church. Please use this information to warn others of what is coming. Next week on the broadcast, we begin a brand new study on the city of Babylon, the literal city of Babylon, a city that will play a key role in the last day. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. You know, Dr. DeYoung wanted people to study and understand Bible prophecy in God's Word. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Dodd Morris for Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Israel's pending ground offensive into Gaza and growing tensions with other neighboring countries all point to a potential long-term conflict in the region. Over 350,000 Israeli reservists have been deployed. Pastor Israel Pachter of Beit Halal Congregation in Ashdod, Israel, says at least 30 young men from his church have deployed since the start of the conflict. Please pray for Israeli Christians showing Christ to their scared and grieving neighbors. Studies show that Muslim immigrants' rate of entering the U.S. continues to increase. Many fled their homeland to escape war, while others came seeking economic opportunity. Check out the I Found the Truth series if you've been asking the Lord to show you how to share the gospel with a Muslim friend or co-worker. In each video, a believer from a Muslim background describes how they met Jesus and why they began following him. Find your place in these stories and more at missionnews.org, the service of One Way Ministries. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for 
for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we've been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic words. And I have to show my appreciation, I really do, for our broadcast partners, Ken Timmerman, David Dolan, Itamar Marcus, Dr. Andy Woods today, over the past, even Dr. Richard Schmidt, R.C. Murrow, uh, Dr. Don DeYoung. Uh, you know, all of our broadcast partners bring something to the table that it helps the, you, the body of Christ, to understand why the world is acting as it is, what is happening. God is going to keep his promise. He's sovereign. Uh, there's so much that we learn from Bible prophecy. And I hope that you appreciate the expertise of each one of these men as they discuss the events, what's happening in the world, what's taking place. And uh, I know that I left some out. I, I forgot about even Israel Madad and how much impact Minno Kalashir. Yes, I can keep going with all these men and, and how they help us. Um, we're very appreciative. Rick and I are very appreciative of each one of those. Well, let me just, uh, we started out the program today talking about the time of Jacob's trouble. In Jeremiah chapter 30, verses 10 and 11, the Lord references the blessings that will come after the time of Jacob's trouble. I will surely save you out of a distant place, your descendants from the land of their exile. Jacob will have peace and security and no one will make him afraid. I am with you and will save you, declares the Lord. The Jewish people are returning to the land of Israel. Remember, that's one of the things that we keep our eyes on as a ministry. The Aliyah, the return of the Jewish people to the land of Israel. As part of the deliverance from the time of Jacob's trouble, the Lord says he will destroy the nations who held Judah and Israel in captivity. And he will never again allow Jacob to be completely destroyed. The Lord also describes this as a time of discipline for his people. He says of Jacob, and that is Israel, though I completely destroy all the nations among which I scattered you, I will not completely destroy you. I will discipline you, but only with justice. I will not let you go entirely unpunished. And that is why that's the time of Jacob's trouble, the day of the Lord, the tribulation period. The reason for that period is so that the Jewish people will understand and he's disciplining them and God gives us the answer in Daniel chapter 9. Jeremiah chapter 30 verse 7 says that day is great so that none is like it. The only time period that fits the description of this period is the tribulation and this time is unparalleled in history. Like Jeremiah, Jesus described the tribulation as a unique time of suffering, speaking of great distress, unequal from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again, Matthew 24, 21. The Lord also uses some of the same imagery as in Jeremiah. In Matthew chapter 24, verses 6 to 8, he said the appearance of false Christ Wars and rumors of wars, famines and earthquakes are the beginning of birth pains. Paul, too, described the tribulation using the same 
simile of birth pains. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse three says, while people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. This event follows the rapture and the removal of the, of the church in first Thessalonians chapter four. These birth pains are described in detail in Revelation chapters 6 through 12. We focused on chapter 12 today with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. One purpose of the tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, is to bring Israel back to the Lord. That's Jeremiah 30, verse 22. That's Hosea chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. That's Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And we've talked about these passages before. The time of Jacob's trouble demonstrates that God keeps his promises. He judges sin and he saves those who trust in Christ. In the end times, God will pour his judgment on a wicked world. And we know that. And this seven-year tribulation, from Israel's point of view, is the time of Jacob's trouble. I mean, when you look at that, as we listen today, half of the world's population that's left after the rapture of the church will be gone. God purges his chosen people of the wicked and unbelieving. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. For on Mount Zion in Jerusalem, there will be deliverance. As the Lord has said, even among the survivors, whom the Lord calls, Joel chapter 2, Romans chapter 10. After that time of Jacob's trouble is a time of peace as the Lord himself sets up his kingdom on the earth for a thousand years. Revelation chapter 20, Isaiah chapter 11. So all of these passages today, we're taking a look at the book. I'm giving you the information so that you can study Bible prophecy so that you will understand where we are in God's timetable, why we are here, what brought us here to this point. Well, at this point, God has sent his son to die for mankind, and that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And without that, people that die and go to hell, they die and they haven't accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, they will spend eternity in hell. If you accept Christ, you're in heaven. And we go at the rapture. What happens after that is a purging. It's a time of, uh, of where God brings judgment on this earth for those people that rejected him and to help the Jewish people to understand why this world is acting as it is and that it is God's world. And, and the same God that I worship, they will be worshiping. The same Messiah that I worship, they will be worshiping. And that's a time of peace and safety in the future. Those Jewish people that come back that are living after the tribulation period. And again, that's not guaranteed as we heard from Dr. Jimmy DeYoung today. Well, I hope that all of this helps you. And uh, Rick, thank you so much for doing all the hard work today and uh, our interviews, helping us to understand where we are. Uh, helping people to hear the events. And remember, all of these events are setting up for events that happen, prophecies that are fulfilled after the rapture of the church. If we're so close to these events, 
that are listed in the book of Revelation, if we're so close to that, how much closer are we to the rapture of the church? Let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.